Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. I liked it better when we were in the gym and I was on the floor, but that's okay. If you would like, you can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 6. That's where we're going to be spending um, all of today in. Before we get started, let's just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you uh, thankful for another day that we can spend uh, together uh, thinking of your son, um, just enjoying your presence um, as a body of believers here. Uh, Father, just give me peace and confidence to speak your words today. Father, may the only thing that comes out of my mouth be of you, uh, and may it affect us and continue to drive us throughout this week, this month, this year. In your son's name, amen. I find myself very thankful this morning that I'm not speaking on verses 1 through 8. I'm also very thankful that I'm not speaking on the following passages after chapter 6. Not so thankful that I have to speak on today's passage, but we'll find out. Um... The passage we'll be looking at today is Hebrews 6, 9 through 20. It's been a while since we looked at Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. Uh, our brother Wes Milligan did it when we were online and a few weeks ago um, as a part of some of the earlier chapters where we were, where we were looking at uh, res- restoration and brothers and sisters that stumble or fall away. When I was first asked by A.B. to speak on this passage, um, I took a few days and then I said yes. But uh, usually um, when I'm asked to speak, I have some sort of inclination of what kind of direction I want to take. I guess some urging of the spirit of um, what I should say or even a psalm that might connect to the message or the passage. But for Hebrews 6 and what I'm going to be speaking about today, I didn't really feel that for about a month. I didn't know uh, what to do with these verses. It wasn't until the teen winter weekend when uh, Aaron and I went down to uh, council and do music for the weekend that I was talking with a brother, Aaron Woodring, who was the speaker for the weekend. Um, We were just catching up on life and Um, everything going on, and I was trying to find a way to express my spiritual state. I was trying to find a phrase that could accurately depict how I'm feeling. And the only phrase that came to mind while I was speaking to him was, I don't know what my motivation 
is anymore. Like, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Specifically, and in particular with ministry, I don't know what my motivation is. I don't know if it's for the people. I don't know if it's for the work. I don't know if it's for the Lord. I just don't know what's driving me there. And we continued on with the conversation, but in the back of my head, I was like, that's it. That's the point of these verses. Or at least that's the point I'm going to take today, and that's the lens and the challenge that I want to look at this passage through. My intention is not to make this very long because I truly believe there is only one point I want to make, and I'll get to that point in a moment. But the challenge and the lens I have for you is what is my or what is your motivation? Why do I do what what I do? And we're going to be looking at steadfastness versus sluggishness, right? Those are two overarching themes in chapter 6. And what I want to submit before getting into the verses is that I want to look at steadfastness as it demands a particular mindset. And I'll get into what that mindset is soon. But that mindset helps avoid sluggishness. But I also want to ask that sluggishness is synonymous with being burnt out, not feeling motivated, or being motivated by the wrong things. And the question to ask today is, what should we be motivated by? So looking at Hebrews 6, the first eight verses lays this very, uh, I don't want to say dark, but this very true and blunt backdrop of what could befall a brother or sister. And if you're interested in learning more about that, I would encourage you to look back at our messages and listen to Wes Milligan's um, message for this chapter. And this passage is not only controversial today or highly discussed, but it was clearly controversial back then. The author, whoever wrote Hebrews, knew that in writing this letter that this part of chapter 6, this portion of the letter was going to be difficult to digest. And I refrain from even going into the details of those verses. And the only reason I bring it up for context is to say that the writer wants to shift our attention and shift the Jews of the day and us as the church back to the single most important topic, Jesus Christ. Right? Chapter 6 starts with this, and really the end of chapter 5 going into 6 starts with this very blunt and aggressive portion. But he wants to bring us back and he wants to encourage us. So with that in mind, I do want to say for the record that I mean this message to be encouraging. Um, But throughout this process, I've felt more convicted than encouraged. So just know that my intention is encouragement. uh, And if you feel convicted, that's the Lord. So, And if you feel encouraged, that is also the Lord. So uh, let's read uh, the first few verses of our portion today. Starting in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, addressing the earlier portion of chapter 6, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, 
so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I'm just going to stop there because this is where the encouragement comes in. You're not invisible, right? It's so easy to feel like the work and effort that you're putting into the vast amount of things that you have in your life to feel like God is not noticing you. That he doesn't notice what you do for your family on a daily basis. That he doesn't notice what you do for your church on a daily basis. That he doesn't know what you do for your workplace on a daily basis. The commitment, the loyalty, the faith, the patience that you show on a daily basis. The Lord is aware of it. He sees you. You are not invisible. And I could sit down right now and I feel like that would be enough for the week to go into it. Right? That you are not alone. That he sees you and you are not invisible but what is your motivation what is he what is the author commending the saints on your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints not for the saints we aren't doing the work for the saints we're doing it for his name and we show it through serving the saints and loving one another. And he goes on to say, what, what are we called to be steadfast for? What is the heart desire of this author? What is the heart desire of the Lord? To show and continue that same earnestness for the full assurance of hope. And that's the mindset. That's the motivation for why we should do what we do, what we should do when we go into ministry. That hope. Why? I'm going to submit that any other reason is not sustainable. And it's so easy to become sluggish and to get burnt out if we have any other reason other than for our life to be for his name, his glory, and for this hope. And what is this hope? And we're going to get to that in a second. He's going to describe this hope. And we have this opportunity to look back through scriptures. To be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Right? We have the opportunity to look back. To have confidence that people have done it before. Right? Those that looked to this hope. Those in the Old Testament that didn't even know Christ continued to look to God for hope and it sustained them. So when you analyze your own decisions, what motivates you? How do you reach a decision? What drives your behavior, your thoughts? Are we staying steadfast to the hope or have we turned sluggish, lazy, slow to act, Let's keep reading. Verses 13 to 20. We're going to learn more about this full assurance of hope. What is this hope? How could it possibly motivate us? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the pro promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And in the coming weeks, we're going to learn more about this priestly order. We heard a little bit about it last week, right? We're going to learn more about what that means for us, how that brings us and gives us hope. But I want to go back to verse 12. It says, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And there was a moment when I was rereading these passages, and I got to verse 12, and over and over again, I was like, this structure doesn't make sense. And unfortunately for you, and also for myself, there's no way for me as an English teacher to avoid thinking about the structure of how things are written. Uh, it's just kind of innate in me. I have to think about why the author would write it the way he wrote it. Because when I read verse 12, this is what I'm expecting. Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. I want chapter 11. That's what I want. So in my head, and for those of you that might not know, chapter 11 in Hebrews is referred to as the hall of faith, right? It's this list of people throughout the Old Testament that have showed steadfastness to the hope, that have showed immense faithfulness to God and patience. Okay, so when I read verse 12, that's what I'm expecting. It's like, why do, why, why do we need the next four chapters? Like, why do we need the next four chapters? I want to know. I need to know the motivation. I need to see it lived out. I need to practically know how can I live by faith with this steadfastness of hope and full assurance. I want that to be my motivation. Show it to me in the scripture. Instead, the author chooses to spend four chapters before we get there. Why? Because chapter 11 would fall so naturally here. It would fall so naturally after verse 12. These section of verses set you up to think that Abraham is the focus, right? Like, I'm going to show, I'm going to tell you about an imitator or someone that you should imitate by faith and patience. It's going to be Abraham. But who is the real focus? Who demonstrates the true faithfulness? Who is the example of patience? Who is the example of keeping their promises promises and remaining steadfast in this portion? It's God. There's eight verses here between verses 13 and 20. Two of the eight actually mention Abraham. All eight verses refer to God and his steadfastness. This isn't about Abraham, right? It's not about practically living your life yet. We're not there yet because we need to change our focus. God is the ultimate example. And the hope that exists, the hope that kept all those men and women faithful that we'll see later in chapter 11, 
is only possible through God's enduring faithfulness and Christ as the high priest, which will be explored in the next four chapters. Right? All these men and women will see that live by faith, that we should imitate, that is only possible through God. It is only possible through Christ as the high priest. So don't miss the structure of these chapters. Don't miss how this book is laid out. It is purposeful, right? From chapter one, from the beginning, positioning it where Christ is preeminent and is the focus. Christ and God is always going to be the focus. They are the primary example. And then we get to chapter 11 and we see that because of that, we can live by faith. There was a moment when I was preparing for this message where I thought about all the different passages I could go to before I got to Hebrews 6, right? We could talk about David and what happens when you're motivated by pride. We could talk about Samson and what happens when you're motivated by anger. And we could talk about Peter and what happens when you're motivated by fear. Or Martha when you choose service before sitting at the feet of Christ. I know what the outcome of those stories are, and we could spend weeks going to different passages, and we could talk about what it means to be motivated by all the wrong things, but I'm not here to do that today. We are going to see examples of faith practically lived out as we continue to explore Hebrews, but for now, the challenge is to tell yourself I choose hope. I choose to stay steadfast because I believe in a God who is willingly willingly proves to us, willingly proves to us time and time again his unfailing nature. And it is an anchor. Verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. Not that we are reliant on other men and women of faith or their stories, The focus is God and Christ and his work. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has already gone as a forerunner on our behalf. There is no better example. For Christ has become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. At the end of Ben's message last week, he gave a strong urging to all of us to come together to recognize Christ as our high priest and be unified under that one mind. And I would like to do something similar today. When you wake up in the morning and go to bed at night, what is your motivation? Is it the people? The work? Is it your pride? People celebrating you? You celebrating others? Is it the busyness of your life where you feel like you can't dedicate as much to one area? Is it your laziness? Is it the sluggishness? Is it the different priorities that you've stacked up? Is it the idea that you've done enough already up to this point? Or is it the hope? Is it the unfailing promises of God? Are you anchored or are you drifting? And I don't think it's something that we can just put on and have on for the rest of our life. It's a daily decision to live 
in hope. It's a daily choice to trust that the unfailing promises of God will always come through, where we don't become reliant or motivated by people. And that's the biggest struggle for me. Expectations of people. Or wanting people to have a, a great experience at camp for the Rochester Youth Conference. Right? I want them to have the same experience that I did. I want them to just have a great time. And that becomes the motivation, and it's just not sustainable because it's so easy to become burnt out if your focus is on anything else other than God and the hope that has been set before us. So my encouragement today is to remain steadfast, love God first, serve others, and press on towards the mark. I would like to close by singing number 334 in the Red Book. Change and tears are past.
Heavenly Father, we come before you. Father, my prayer today is that our motivation, where we look for help, for advice, for wisdom, for strength, for energy, is in this hope that we have that you are an unfailing God. Your promises have never failed us. And you sent your son to be a high priest for us, a mediator between us and you so that we can enter in your presence in this way to worship you not only through song, but through our lives. So Father, as we go into this week, may our decisions be motivated by this hope. This stead- may we remain steadfast. And Father, we pray that our mindset would be this hope, that we wouldn't be burnt out because we're trying to exceed expectations or try, and even with our heart for people, Father, we know that is from you, but Father, it it can become so easy for that to be the number one priority. And Father, you have made it clear through your scriptures that yourself and your son are preeminent that you are the ones we should be looking to. And out of that, we serve others. So Father, may we be a church that remains steadfast, that loves you first, that serves others, and presses on towards the mark. In your son's name, amen.